Sissy, I have a question for you. Queso or guac? Well, I'm used to us asking that question, but not answering it. But I think I would choose queso. How would you feel about queso being central to your dinner tonight? Oh, I love that plan. Thanks to one of our sponsors, that can be your reality. Factor is helping me make red pepper queso chicken tonight. That sounds amazing. I love Factor. I just made a green chili pork and pico de gallo bowl. Did it bowl you over? (laughs) It did. (laughs) With Factor, you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We have done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule? Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash rbg50 and use code rbg50 to get 50% off. That's code rbg50 at factormeals.com slash rbg50 to get 50% off. Hey friends, welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. And I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you joined us for this conversation. Let's dive in. Well, folks, you heard us say last week that the conversation we were sharing with Kimberly Caraway was so rich, we didn't want it to stop. We made a game time decision to extend that episode and make it into two parts. So welcome back to part two of our conversation with Kimberly Caraway. Just to remind you, Kimberly is a mind, brain, and education specialist who specializes in the integration of cognitive neuroscience in teaching and learning strategies. She holds degrees in cognitive studies and elementary education from Vanderbilt University and in learning and teaching from Harvard University. Kimberly works nationally with schools and educators, bringing usable knowledge and practical cognitive neuroscience applications directly to the classroom. She is the author of Transforming Your Teaching, Practical Classroom Strategies Informed by Cognitive Neuroscience. She directs the Caraway Center for Teaching and Learning in Nashville, Tennessee, and now in Birmingham, Alabama. Enjoy part two of our conversation with Kimberly Caraway. Welcome back to part B. I 
literally, I've been thinking, I can't wait to go back and listen to part A and take notes myself, wanting to remember different phrases you're saying. Kimberly, it's so good and so helpful. Well, thank you. I'm I so mean, glad. Oh, that it's, it's so helpful. That it was helpful. Yes. And I'm excited to be back and and hopefully offer some more strategies and yes. tips for parents who yes. Can, are okay, needing it. I want to preview yeah. something because I was thinking about you came and met with our staff five years ago, probably. Yeah, maybe. And Kimberly, there are, I mean, I can name sentences you said that day that I still go back to. Oh, that's awesome. And I I'm just going to. I bet I know what you're about to talk about. I'm going <laughs> to preview two of them that we're going to come back to. You talked a little bit about anxiety. Yes. And you talked about the power of smiling, that you even use popsicle sticks with kids sometimes. Yes. Which we we have to circle back to that. And you talked about guacamole. I did talk about about guacamole. So we're going to talk about both those things before this episode is over. So get ready for some smiling guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to start with our first question for this episode. That is that you have worked with countless kids over the years with learning challenges. Yeah. And you've referenced some things already that are super helpful. But what encouragement or hope would you also want to offer parents of kids who have any kind of learning hurdles? Yes, I think kids with learning differences are my favorite kids to work with, for sure. Wow. Because I love just seeing how the Lord has designed their brain. And I love you know, looking at what they struggle with and finding ways to accomplish the task that, that are alternate ways typically than, than the, the normal way. A lot of times I talk to parents about how, you know, when you're working with a child with learning disabilities um, and we're talking about the brain, the brain is designed with a functional system to do different tasks. So, you know, there are parts of the brain that are involved when you're reading. And so it's the most proficient way to read. It's the most effective um, to use these neural pathways and they're developed as you grow. If you have dyslexia, if you struggle with reading, um, you oftentimes, when you look at the brain, you are using some of the same structures, but not all of the same structures. And because of that, you're using kind of these secondary systems to help accomplish the goal. And I compare it to the highways versus these little county roads, you know, Mm. the highway can get you down to Destin, but then also you can take all the county roads to get down to Destin. (laughs) One is going to get you there faster and the other one is going to be bumpier and longer, but you're both going to arrive at the same destination. Mm. And so with kids with learning disabilities, that's how I look at it. Like it's going to be a bumpier road. Um, We're going to have to be more creative along the way and it's going to require more practice and more repetition and maybe take you a little bit longer to get there, but you get there. And so, I mean, I like just starting with that. I would encourage parents that um, are struggling with that, that they do get there. They Mm -hmm. end up okay. They become great adults. They make more money than all the perfectionists. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They are are so good at managing life. Um, Mm. It's just that the things that we demand in school are really difficult for them. Mm. So, you know, in terms of advice, my, my first piece of advice would be, you know, trust your mother's intuition. Mm. So moms, what I see typically moms, even more than dads, 
have this gut feeling that something's off, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with younger children and, you know, the teacher says it's fine, but I feel like it's not that okay. And um, I just recommend that you pursue that. You trust that, you follow that. If there's a little bit of difficulty with something when you are three years old, intervene. Get help at that point. I I am not a fan of waiting and seeing because the brain changes so easily when you're young. I mean, it is Mm. effortless to build new pathways and to change the brain when you're little. And so an hour or five hours of intervention with a first grader, you know, might equal 25, 40 hours of intervention when that child's, you know, in eighth grade. And so financially, it's more worth it. It's you kind of nip some of these things when they're young. So if if you're given advice to wait and see, I I would um, question that advice and just pursue some intervention um, anyway. And Mm -hmm. you can just alleviate that problem. That's great. You know, and I think also, I think it's important for parents to really learn what it's like to be dyslexic or to have auditory processing difficulties. I had a woman in my office the other day and her child has... um, significant auditory processing difficulties. And, you know, as I just explained what that was like for her child, she just had 15 aha moments of, oh, that makes so much sense. Oh, I feel really sorry for her when she's struggling with this. And and so I think the more you understand about what really is because of their learning difference, um, it helps you know how to discipline or how to talk to them. Yes. So there are times that, you know, a ninth grader is just being lazy, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with ADD. That child is being <laughs> defiant and lazy, and mm. that type of discipline is going to be different from when a child comes home spent and they have exerted all of their mental energy throughout the day, and they don't have those cognitive resources to dive right into homework. Mm. And so um, I encourage parents to really get to know their children in that way, and and then I think with um, with learning differences, it is about being creative and um, thinking outside the box in terms of how to um, help them. And so um, usually my first bit of advice is just for the parent to go home and Google. If you're like, I think my kid has ADD, go home and Google, you know, seven-year-old child, attention deficit, and read the checklist and see is is this congruent or is it not? Um, and then if it is, you know, you need to just know that there are so many resources and there are so many things that are going to be able to help that child. Mm. And some are medication, but I usually even start without medication. You know, I want to, I need to help them build those neural networks to make attention stronger. And so um, early intervention is the key. Um, whatever you practice early in life, you get better at. Yes. So there are studies even where kids in preschool who are playing um, with blocks and block design and um, kids as they're older when they're playing with Tetris that you know, the more you're playing with those spatial relationships, the stronger the part of the brain is that does spatial relationships becomes. And so you practice it, you strengthen it. Mm. And so even if you've got attention deficit, that does not mean you cannot pay attention. It means we just have to strengthen some of those networks. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Mm. So. Mm. So good. You know what I was thinking about, Kimberly, as you were 
talking just then, and you may know exactly what I'm about to say or where I'm headed. So my wife and Kimberly have had the great pleasure of being a part of a group of learning specialists in our community for decades now. And just this beautiful place you created of support and idea sharing. And one of the things that my wife and her colleagues, and I think a number of folks in that space do is offer what's called a dyslexia simulation, where parents can come in and go through a series of tasks and look through a lens of how difficult these tasks are to complete if your brain is dyslexic. And my wife has said, we've never offered this that two-thirds of the room haven't left the room crying. Of just They had no mm. idea until I looked through that lens to understand how hard it is to do just these basic tasks. And when I have listened to her talk about that offering, I think that to me is such a picture of the work you do on a daily basis. Like you're helping walk parents toward this deeper understanding of this is what it's like for this kid to learn wherever they fall, whether it's learning hurdles, whether it's perfectionism, like the things that get in the way and how can we understand that more? How can we develop practices around that? And I just was reminded listening to you talk, I think, wow, that's so the work you're doing in so many different spaces in terms of your offerings. And one of the many reasons we're so grateful for what you do. And on that note, we teach a class together where we put up a slide. It's this great cartoon called Then and Now. Yeah. And it is, uh, you may have seen this as well. It's two parents sitting next to or standing next to their student and the teacher on the other side. And in the then picture, they're looking at the child saying, explain these grades. And in the now picture, they're looking at the teacher and saying, explain these grades. And we share that for a number of reasons. One is, I think, the reminder that Sissy and I in all these years have just never seen as many parents as critical of their kids' teachers. I agree. And even hearing a lot of boys in my office make really negative statements and say, my mom and I both know that she and, and evidence of they've had conversations that I wish they hadn't had together, parent and child, about the teachers in that way. And so... What would you say are some practical ways that parents can step into supporting their kids, teachers and administrators more? Yes, I would love that question because I see that so much too. You know, teachers, having been a teacher and working with teachers, you know, they work so hard. Um, they're certainly not teaching because of the money. Um, they're not teaching because of the hours. Um they are teaching because they, you know, the majority of them are teaching because they love um, the art of teaching and they love yes. investing in kids. And and they all have different personalities. And some teachers are just naturally easy to work with. And some teachers are not that easy to work with. Um, I mean, that's a reality of what we face. And, and some teachers have a lot of understanding about learning differences and some do not. And um, which is part of the reason I wrote the book was just to help educate teachers on, you know, this is really what you're dealing with. And But with that being said, you know, I think that I am often encouraging parents to really just assume the best first. Yes. Um, To stand on the side of the teacher, um, not, not in neglect of standing on the side of your child, but to assume the best out of that teacher's intentions or 
um, really look past maybe an initial comment and think, you know, why did my child get this grade? Or why did the teacher put this in the the report or the notes that came home or the email that I received? You know, because so much is communicated by text and by email now, um, so much gets lost in translation. And you miss the tone, you miss the body language. And so, you know, sometimes I will even reread, a a student will come in and be upset about an email they received from the teacher. And they're inferring it one particular way. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'll read it in an angry voice, and then Mm -hmm. I'll read the email out loud in a funny voice or in a kind voice. And part of it is educating the kid on it could sound like this, or the teacher could have meant it like this, you know, and let's pull apart the pieces of that dialogue or email or whatever and see what parts do we agree with and are true and what parts aren't true or what parts could be true, you know, that you don't think you did this, but maybe, maybe you did. Um, and, I, and I help parents with that too. I mean, I had a parent in my office this week, actually, and we were we were talking about an email that they had received from a teacher and and helping them not jump to the conclusions about this teacher and um, and kind of working through that particular thing. I think that um, you know also it's really, really important as a parent to watch the way you talk about the teachers in front of your children. I mean, the children watch everything. I mean, they're going to develop their mindset and their attitude about different things from watching you. And so if you're using negative adjectives and you're talking about the teacher in a demeaning way or you're immediately blaming the teacher instead of looking to the child to see what responsibility the child had in the particular scenario, um, you know, the child's going to mimic that um, and they're going to copy that language. And um, so, um, you know, I'm often really encouraging parents to um, be careful about that. And and then, you know, getting to know that teacher, um, if you know your child struggles with, um, let's say, attention, but that often is going to get translated into this student doesn't care about my class. I'm a big fan of going in at the beginning of the semester and educating the teacher on, you know, this, these are the things that my child struggles with. These are the things he's really great at. Um, and these are ways that you can help support what we're trying to do at home. And how can we help support you as a teacher? Um, I think it's just a really, really big thing. And, you know, teachers need encouragement. Um, they really, um, I think, are so used to now having to defend themselves yes. that when I am involved in a parent-teacher conference or meeting, I'm always talking with the parent about, you know, let's let's start this conversation off with what the teacher does really well. And let's compliment the teacher because, you know, she has done these things incredible. And we have a question about this area but, you know, it's not all or nothing. So in helping them piece apart the parts that are good and helpful and the ones that are maybe frustrating and then working through it that way and um, kind of getting the teacher off the offensive. And, you know, any um, random text, random email, unsolicited, 
you know, brownies, <laughs> um, <laughs> literally does make a teacher's day. Yeah. And so I think it's not even when it feels deserved. I mean, the, the best encouragement you get is usually when it's a random piece, a random day. And, um, you know, I had a teacher once who uh, called a student at home because the student um, made a 94. Uh, eight on her math test, and she'd been struggling, oh, for months. And the teacher was so proud of her for making that 98. And that one phone call that lasted about two minutes meant the world to that little girl. Mm. And I think of that often as the reverse. Like, do we do that to the teachers? Do mm. we tell them about what the kid comes home and shares about class that day and their favorite thing about their teacher? And so I think that goes a long way. Mm. Um, Thank you. So, so grateful for those reminders. Sissy, I loved seeing your pictures from the weekend at the lake house with your college friends. We had the best time. I could tell. We laughed harder than I have laughed in a long time. Good for you. That photo of us out on the porch is thanks to the great folks at Home Threads. We love our new porch furniture. It's so comfortable, functional, and looks incredible. We have loved our Home Thread purchases as well. I feel like I'm staying in a swanky hotel every time I use our new towels. Connie bought them for when we have guests, and I proceeded to use them for myself, so we had to buy more. <laughs> Parents, are you ready to transform your home into a haven for your growing family? Look no further than Home Threads, your destination for stylish and functional furniture that's perfect for raising boys and girls. At HomeThreads.com, discover a curated collection of furniture designed with your family in mind. From durable bunk beds to versatile storage solutions, our pieces are as resilient as your little adventures and always at the best value. I need a lot of durable furniture when it comes to my little nephews. Yes, you do. Create a space where memories are made and imaginations run wild. Go to homethreads.com slash RBG and get 15% off your first order. Home Threads, shop today and love where you live. David, I love that candle you're burning. You seem to always have a great candle burning. I am very aware of how room smells. When you've spent over a decade with a 75-pound Labrador Retriever and two teenage boys, you start <laughs> to worry that your house smells like the inside of a gym bag. I would imagine so. You know what I wish we'd had for the last decade? What? That Puro Air Purifier we now own and use all the time. I love my Puro Air too. Did you know that indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? Yes, I lived with two teenage boys. I can 100% <laughs> testify to that. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Gases from a preteen boy? <laughs> I'm dreading when my nephews start making those gases. Just you wait. Thankfully, Puro Air uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. You wouldn't drink unfiltered tap water, so why would you breathe unfiltered air? Thanks to my Puro Air purifier, I feel like I can breathe again. Check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, get puroair.com. Check it out now.
So we're going to jump forward to junior year of high school. Oh, love it. We have a lot of conversations about testing, about college applications. I spent a good portion of my Thursday talking about that. (laughs) Um, Probably we would say parents and kids seem more overwhelmed by that than any time in history at this point. Absolutely. Um, Oh, I see it all the time. And you have long offered great support to families in this season, ACT, SAT prep support, and and lots of other areas. So what recommendations would you have for families in that stretch of time? So I love working with kids um, on just this college season. Um, There's so much angst. There's so much insecurity. There's a thousand emotions that are just racing through uh, their minds at all times about, you know, where do I want to go and how do I know where I want to go? And my mom wants me to do this and dad's putting pressure on me to know this and I don't know this yet. And, And so I love helping to be an additional voice in that process. You know, one of the things that I found to be most helpful is to to kind of de-escalate the emotional charge that can be present in these conversations sometimes. Um, you know, the kids are insecure. They, they feel like they should know or they should have they be at a place in knowing where they want to go and they're not there yet and they don't know what to do with all of that. And so... I really encourage parents to, you know, at the very beginning, really map out a list of deadlines, you know, for the student and, and, and take all of it that's in the head and put it down on paper. And so come up with like a literal checklist. And some of our schools do this really well. And then some of the schools leave it up to the parents to do. And so, you know, I suggest just taking a calendar out and mapping out, you know, by this point in time, I want you to list five colleges that you might be interested in. And the only way I want you to decide that is I want you to look online and I want you to listen to podcasts and I want you to look at all the classes and read the class um, descriptions. And, you know, you just spend a few hours doing that and then come up with five. We may um, take those off the list later, but right now we're going to keep them on the list and then give them another date to give you five more and kind of give them the freedom to just explore it um, and see what they like. And then, you know, ask them specific questions. You know, why do you like Furman over Tennessee? You know, what is it about Furman that you think you're going to like better? Um, And that helps you come up with a plan in terms of where you're going to go visit. I also um, really encourage parents to have them have the students look at the Common App essay, um, the Common App, just the application in general, and then go ahead and download applications for other schools that they might be interested in way early in the process. Because I think a lot of the parents' angst is, I don't even know what this is going to look like. I don't know all that my kid needs to do. And I need to put a lot of pressure on him to get it done. But I haven't even looked at it. And so parents feel insecure about the process as well. And then oftentimes when you sit down with the parent and you go over the Common App and you're like, these are the parts, they're like, oh, okay, that's not that bad. We can just have him do this by next week and we'll work on this the next two weeks. So I found that to be really, really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I also really recommend when it comes to ACT and SAT prep, there's so much pressure on these kids to not only be getting great grades, but also to be scoring really high on these tests. And, you know, I really think that's where some of these conversations early on about the type of college you're looking at are really important. Because if you're looking at an Ivy League, that means a certain type of test score and it means certain types of grades. If you're looking at a private school, that is another set of test scores and grades. And if you're looking at state schools, that's a different set of expectations. And so looking at what the average ACT score is for the colleges that are on that maybe list, and then looking at the average GPA And really doing that like the summer of 10th grade. I mean, 10th grade or summer of 10th grade because you want it to be early enough in the process that you can really... Course um, correct. Course correct, Mm -hmm. yes. And, you know, those boys who maybe aren't so motivated Mm -hmm. are motivated about college. And so you're, you're explaining like, the GPA isn't just for me. If you really want to go to Duke, you're going to have to have your GPA be about this. And so they need to own it. So I make the kid do the research. I make the kid look it up. And then the kid comes back and says, oh, wow, I, I got a lot of work to do if I want to go here. And That's um, great. and then the kid owns that. It's not mm-hmm. coming from the parent. And then I think with the ACT, I mean, my general recommendations for those tests are, you know, Still, as of today, I recommend taking the ACT early and then taking the SAT. Um, Take one of each, and then you can look online and you can compare your scores and see which one you're better at. Um, Then focus on that particular test. Um, And then plan, go into it planning for three test dates. I mean, don't think you're going to do it once. Think you're going to do it at least three times. Scores will typically pop up the third time. And then get the data back from the first test and really look at, you know, where the areas of strength, where the areas of weakness. And then knowing your child, you know, the ACT is, it's not that hard to improve a score, because it's a standardized test. They cannot get creative. They cannot ask questions that are not, you know, on their list of question types. So it's predictable. Mm -hmm. So that's why the test companies can guarantee, if you do so many hours with us, we'll guarantee a rise in this many points. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's standardized and predicted. And so um, you have some kids who are willing to do the work on their own. Mm -hmm. They'll go home and they'll do the practice test and they'll get in those hours of practice. And then you have other kids who, oh, they're going to be so motivated and they're promised they're going to do it. And then they don't do it. And then they don't do it the next week. And so I think that's when you bring in somebody else to help is Mm -hmm. if you need um, specific skill sets or if you're, you need, to make sure that the kid is actually doing the practice. And and then, you know, it's just one like super practical tip. When it comes to exam time, um, you know, there's also an ACT and SAT test date around there. So if you have parents in that, if your parents have a child in that year, I'm always recommending to put more effort into your GPA and to your exam grades than into the ACT test. So I don't want to pull the kid away from prepping for an AP exam in order to do some ACT prep. I would much rather them do well on their exams and then just we'll switch our focus afterwards. So um, thank you. Yeah. So that's some of it. Okay. Well, speaking of outside help, 
you offer academic tutoring, homeschool instruction, summer workshops, IC prep, and executive function coaching. Yeah. And I have a suspicion that a lot of parents who have kids who struggle in that space just perked up as I said Mm -hmm. that. Will you even talk about what that is? What does it look like? Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, we do, we provide uh, regular tutoring, which you would think of as, oh, my child needs a tutor in geometry. Um, And then we also do the study skills and the executive function coaching, which is, I'd say, the majority of our practice. And really what it is, is it's, Um, In terms of what does that look like, the kid comes in and, you know, he sits down and we're looking at, let's pull out the planner. Let's look at the grades. Do you have any missing work? Um, Let's go through your binder. Is everything in the right spot? If not, we're going to organize it. So we're basically making them do the work themselves um, while we're guiding them through that um, and then having them take ownership of that and creating a space to to um, in their week where they know, oh, this is my opportunity to organize this or this is my opportunity to double check to make sure I've gotten everything turned in. And, and then what we do is um, after, that usually takes, you know, 15 minutes or so to check in on all of that. And then, you know, helping them map out their week and seeing, you know, what assignments do you have? When are they due? How long is it going to take you to complete this? You've got this particular test. How are we going to study for that test? And so um, my philosophy is that we teach all of these skills through the regular classwork. So um, there's the research will support that you don't see a lot of transfer if I'm just going to teach a kid how to study for a general science test. You don't see that necessarily translate into them using all those strategies immediately. Mm. So you have to tie it to a specific test or specific content. So we're teaching those executive function skills um, through the regular classwork. So, you know, I may not, like I helped a kid the other day on... um, island biomes, which I know nothing about, um, but he didn't know anything about them either. And so, (laughs) you know, my job is to teach him, how do we take your textbook? How do we take your notes? How do we organize this information? If if I was going to have a test on this, what would I do? When would I do it? And in what form? Uh, is that going to work best for you? Mm. And so a lot of that also is helping the kids understand, you know, if they're going to have a test that they're going to have to write the definition for, then they can't study by just matching, Mm. you know. So it's also educating them on which study skills to use and when. And then, you know, we also do workshops in the summer. So those summer workshops are opportunities to really dig in and teach some of the things that the teachers expect the kids to know, but they didn't pick up along the way. So we teach a writing workshop and we teach a critical reading and then we teach study skills. Um, and because there's such a lack of transfer where we make them bring content that's they've been used to and we work really hard to make sure that that part transfers. And, um, 
And then, you know, over the past several years, we have done a lot of homeschool support. So we're not a homeschool academy or school, but what I describe it as is a boutique-style homeschool. So um, we have some families that are homeschooling their students, but let's say the child is dyslexic and she needs a certain type of intervention. So we'll be the teacher for the language arts and for that intervention. We have other students that have been kicked out of school for some perhaps poor choices they have made, and they need a place to finish their junior year. And so we can then provide that academic instruction. And um, and so we basically just um, pick and choose the content and help parents decide what they need to teach and then provide that instruction. So we do all sorts of things so um, in those areas. So many things. Yeah. I'm reminded so much. I mean, I just don't get to see nearly as much. Neither of us do as we wish we did. Yeah. And it is so obvious why God chose you for this work. Kimberly, you're so warm and you're so kind. And you say things that are that feel really important and weighty. And probably I would imagine there are some parents that maybe feel a little graciously poked during yeah. this conversation. But that feels like how you do it. Like you kind of graciously offer these reminders. Yes. And I'm just so grateful for you who you are and the warmth Me that too. you bring to this well, work and the wisdom. You. And will you tell about the smiles? Oh, yes, for sure. So um, because we have a lot of perfectionists, yes. because we have a lot of kids with social anxiety yes. or just anxiety in general, and I myself um, suffer from anxiety. I love working with kids on anxiety mm. and, and adults on anxiety. And so... Um, when I was writing the book, I was researching, you know, um, what happens to the brain when you get anxious and, um, and then how do we um, address what's happening so we can reduce that anxiety quickly. And so um, a short snippet about the brain. So when you get anxious, you have this part of your brain called the amygdala, which I know y'all know a lot about. And um, it is there to protect you. And it scans the environment really quickly. And it sees if there's anything potentially dangerous. And when the amygdala fires, it releases a bunch of something called cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And so when you have cortisol, a little bit of cortisol is good. Like you need some because, you know, if something is dangerous, you're going to need that cortisol to help kick you into action and move you away from the fire or the snake or whatever's potentially dangerous. Um, but a lot of cortisol is not helpful. And so um, when you have a lot of cortisol, it can actually just flood your brain and kind of impair your ability to remember something you really do know. So a test anxiety, this is what happens a lot. The kids know the information, they get to the test, and they will describe it as my mind goes blank and I can't remember it. And so I will explain to them that's because you've got this flood of cortisol that's entered the brain and it, it actually is impairing those connections from being made at that point in time. So the goal is to reduce um, the amount of cortisol and to calm down the amygdala as quickly as you can. And so one study that was done looked at smiling, all right? And so what they found is that when you smile, so I bet 
as you're listening to this, some of you are smiling now. <laughs> uh, David and Sissy are smiling. Yes, we are. Um, but when I smile, uh, my face produces, you know, it has muscle memory. And so when it is in this certain shape, that is so closely tied to the neural networks that are activated when you're really happy mm. and when you feel good. And so um, what they discovered is that when you are smiling, your cortisol levels will drop faster than when you're not smiling. And so part of the research study they did was they had participants come in and they put them in a stressful situation and they measured their cortisol levels before the stressful situation and then after the stressful situation. And they wanted to see how quickly the cortisol levels reduced. And so one of the groups um, went in and that's just what they did. Um, and then the second group went in and they were just told they just needed to put a popsicle stick in their mouth during the um, experiment. And so they weren't even told to smile. They just had a, st- a popsicle stick in their mouth, which... Sideways. like Sideways. So mimicking. it forces your your body to make that um, physical shape. And, um, and so even the fake smile, just mm. the structure of the face, reduced the cortisol levels faster. Amazing. And so what I use this information for is, which I think is just so powerful, is that as I teach kids this, I'm like, you know, when you are stressed, I want a fake smile. <laughs> uh, you know, put a pen in your mouth. Um, <laughs> but, you know, basically I need you to fake it. Yes. And and then I want you to start trying to think about something that you really like. Mm. Um, and that does really make you happy. And because we got to get that cortisol to come down. And yes. I explain that when I am on my, you know, way to work or if I'm stressed out about something in my car, I'll get my Apple Watch out and I'll be like, okay, Siri, set the timer for three minutes. And, but I will make myself to give a fake smile and because it will change my biochemistry and it also produces um, chemicals that are going to help make you feel better. Mm. And not only that, but since we're talking to parents, I think even more powerful than that is that you're made with something called mirror neurons. So you've got mirror neurons so that when you look at me and I am smiling Mm -hmm. and Sissy's looking at me right now, Mm -hmm. she, in order to interpret my smile, has to activate her smile network, Mm. which means my smile can change her brain chemistry. Wow. Which is so powerful. And so when um, you're teaching, when you're a parent and your kid is melting down and you are melting down, you know, you are done and they're done. Just remember that you can change that internal system of that child um, by how you look. And so even if it's a fake smile, if even if you can push your your real reaction down for a little bit, but you and your disposition affects the other person chemically. And so, um, yes, that's what I tell people. Just, you know, fake it, it. put a pencil in your mouth sideways, and and that'll help reduce that anxiety. Okay, and where folks can find you, you said already. Yeah, so Center. com. We have two locations, one's in Nashville and one's in Birmingham. So 
Technically, you can find us at carawaycenternashville.com and then also carawaycenterbirmingham.com. Yes. Kimberly. Okay, we like to end every episode with something fun and food-related. Yes. We've got a two-part question. The first part actually is going to take us back to Sissy wanted you to talk about mm-hmm. guacamole. <laughs> so queso or guac, and then talk specifically about why she mentioned guacamole. Second part of the question is, what's your favorite kind of taco? All right. So definitely guacamole. Uh favorite guacamole um, is probably a place in Mexico that's been uh, where I have uh, there's a woman who makes this special guacamole when I go on a girl's trip and that's my that's my favorite. Uh, reason to see mentioned guacamole at the beginning was because uh, when you are also looking at anxiety, um, what you eat can affect anxiety as well. And so guacamole um, is made of avocados and avocados um, are going to increase your serotonin when you eat them. And so when you have higher levels of serotonin, you are more relaxed and it affects your mood. So this is why everyone has so much fun at a Mexican restaurant, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're eating guacamole. That's right. uh, Feeling better. And I've never not felt better after guacamole. You're having a bad day? Go get some guacamole and smile. That's right. And it'll get better right away. I love that. Um, That's so good. Favorite taco? Yes. Um, I like them plain. I like beef with just cheese. Um, so Good I'm not choice. super adventurous when it comes to uh, Mexican food, but uh, so I, I stick with the very plain. That Maybe some cr- sour cream on top. Yes. <laughs> we support that. Kimberly. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I was thinking back to how many stories in my office I have heard about you mm. over the years. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. I can go all the way back 20 <laughs> years ago. I remember sitting with this adorable 11-year-old boy who had some epic meltdowns around homework, and that would create a lot of battles between he and his mom. Yes. And I remember saying to his mom, this is creating too much wear and tear on your relationship. Like, part of having a resilient mindset as a parent is figuring out if something's not working, I need to be open to trying something different. And I want you to call the Caraway Learning Center, (laughs) and we're going to figure out how we can outsource some of this for the sake of you all's relationship. And I remember that little guy coming in about three months later, and he said something I've heard countless boys say after spending time with you. It's one of my favorite things you say to boys. He said, David, Miss Caraway is teaching me how to work smarter and not harder, which I love. And then he went on to say, and it used to take me over an hour to do homework. Now, the actual work did not take that long, but the amount of melting down made it take yes, that long. Right, and then some, exactly. and he said, she is helping me figure out how to cut that number in half. Like he got so <laughs> loud when he reported that. And I said, which is every boy's dream, isn't that it? Is cut your homework in half. Yes. How That's... many kids and families you have helped figure out a different way. And wow. we're just so grateful for what you do. Yes, well, we are. And likewise, because they need every bit of what y'all do. Mm. So it's been so fun to share um, these clients yes. together that, you know, where I can help them in one domain and then you're helping them in the other domain. And because they come into my office and say the mm. same thing. They'll be like, well, Miss Golf told me today that mm. I need to do this or, 
um, when I get anxious, she tells me that I need to take a breath. And so I really appreciate um, your friendship. And you just, too. You too. It's fun friend. to be in the village for a lot of folks together. It is. It is, it is indeed. Village. Yep. It is wonderful. Well, thank awesome. you for thank having you. me today. Thank you. What a treat. Did you love today's episode? If so, would you mind sharing it with a friend? Send a quick text or email with the link to the show. Join us next time for another episode where we'll bring you help and hope on your journey of raising boys and girls. 